So today we're going to be uh, continuing our podcast series on welfare and warfare. And I want to particularly take some time to think about the parable that Jesus told, um, a very famous parable, uh, a parable that appears, I think it's in three out of four of the Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, the parable of the sower, whereby Jesus compares our hearts to like a soil. And um, there's kind of four categories. And we're going to focus um, particularly on uh, the third category today because, because as we think about how we're doing in this season, cultivating the soil of our heart or looking after, looking after the garden, if you like, is really where a, a category three really kicks in. Category one is where the seed falls on the seed falls onto hard ground and it's really and the birds come and snatch it away straight away and this really seems to be referring to those who don't respond to the gospel at all and um the the birds snatching it away are likened to the work of the devil where we're told elsewhere in the bible that the you know the, the god of this age blinds the eyes of the of the unbelievers and it's that sort of idea where the the soul the soul never really lands in terms of goes in at all, it just bounces off. It's just it's snatched away as soon as it's uh, sown. I don't know if any of you have ever seen some sometimes the incredible way that the birds swoop in to food that falls on the ground. You think where do they come from? Yeah, incredible eyesight. They're, they're they're ready and they're watching. And it's a similar idea in category one. Category two is where the seed falls into the ground onto soil and it actually looks good initially. The difficulty is, is that actually, although it looks good to the sort of naked eye, the reality is is that the soil is very shallow and it's really actually the ground is actually very, very rocky. So even though the things seem to spring up pretty quickly, there's no root. So as soon as life gets difficult and there's persecution and opposition, very quickly there's a, there's a withering of the work of God in, in someone's life. And that's category two. Fast forward to category four and you've got, you know, this kind of soil that is kind of clear. It's cleared, it's prepared, it's ready to receive the seed, to ready to receive the gospel. And as a result, you know, it's, it's soily, it's deep, it's uh, without hindrance and you get an amazing harvest, 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold, which just tells us something of the potency of the seed of the gospel of the kingdom. You know, it has this potency within it to give you minimum 30-fold return, anything up to 100-fold. So, uh, but we're going to focus on category three because, you know, theologians argue amongst themselves, is this talking about someone who is genuinely saved um, but loses their salvation? Obviously, some theologians would agree that, would agree that that's possible. Others say, no, that's not possible. It's talking about someone who appears to be saved but over the long haul, over the whole race, you know, actually it's clear they never were saved. Other theologians say, no, they are saved, but they're just this category. They're not fruitful in the way they should be. And everyone would agree that, that, that the, these, these do not produce the kind of fruit and harvest that you would expect from the potency of the seed. The seed, we are told in the Bible, is the word of God. It's like, and, and is referred to as the gospel You'll find that in numbers of places, but 1 Peter makes it really clear. It likens the seed to the word, 
to the Gospels. Potent, potent message, powerful, full of multiplying um, potential, just waiting for some for some good soil to land in that it might produce this most incredible fruit of a changed life and uh, enlargement and abundance and all of the all of that that which we associate with the gospel of the kingdom and the good news um, and so Jesus will take will take the gospel of Mark Jesus points out um, you've got a situation where the seed goes into the soil but there are weeds that grow up alongside the the fruit of the gospel and actually what happens is is that those weeds end up choking the word of God they 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 end up um, causing there not to be the kind of fruit or harvest that we would have expected at all and Jesus itemizes in the gospel of Mark three things and there are three things I want us to just consider today to reflect upon to think through and they're fairly they're fairly broad categories but very as ever with Jesus's teaching utterly perceptive getting right to the heart of the matter um, Jesus understands what we're about. He knows us inside and out. We're told in the Gospel of John that he didn't entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in man. He he understands us. These are his Jesus' teaching are not speculative ideas. It's deep, life-changing, penetrating truth. And Jesus says there are three kinds of things that can really hinder the work of the gospel in our lives. And and you know, circumstances straightened times difficult circumstances can kind of expose our hearts you know um sort of to mix metaphors a bit different different circumstance different circumstances can test us god can use trying pressurizing difficult times to test us the idea of a test being that which is in our hearts is exposed that which is in there comes out and so these times where we're a bit restricted or you know there's just challenges pressures we're feeling the squeeze what's in our heart can come out and these areas of weeds can begin to show themselves now all is not lost when that happens and the aim of of messages like this is to help us learn how to cultivate our own hearts how to how to kind of co-labor with the lord as he wants to unpluck uproot really these weeds um, Jesus elsewhere in, in the gospel says that everything that my father did not plant will be uprooted. So one way or the other, you know, um, that which is not of God will be uprooted, whether on the final day or hopefully before that, that we can allow the Lord to work in our heart. All of us will be able to relate to different ones, maybe even all of these, all of these weeds. Um, so it's not it's not like you know if it's if it's you then aren't aren't you like the worst person ever to have lived on the planet not at all this is the condition you know we tend to focus in our time on our own individuality and, and the bible acknowledges that but actually the bible tends to focus more on the universality of our condition that we're all the same all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god all were made in the image of god you know um if you're in christ all will be all will be saved who are in Christ. So actually the, the Bible makes more of the fact that we are the same. And so when, when we notice things in our heart that we just think, oh, that's awful, that's ugly, that's so twisted or whatever, um, it's right to feel kind of a godly shame in that sense, which brings us to repentance, causes us to find forgiveness. 
but we're not to allow the enemy to take advantage of that and, and make us feel like we're like the worst person ever. There's a weird sort of pride in that, you know, oh, no one's like me. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, they are. We're all the same. No temptation has come upon you except that which is over, you know, uh, which is common to all men. So, you know, we all, um, we all struggle with similar things, which is why Jesus can talk about the weeds in these three categories and know that he's one way or the other. He's hitting everyone. So what are these three things? Well, we'll talk about them one at a time and maybe just suggest some things that can help us to, to uproot, if they're, uproot them if they're there. The first uh, that we'll look at today is um, the anxieties of this life. The, 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 the stuff of this life can just weigh us down. It's just very, very real. We can get weighed down by worry. Weighed down by, oh no, what if that happens? Or look at what's happening to a particular loved one at the moment. Or how can I sort this situation out that's beyond my control? Um, these are worries that, you know, it's, it's very natural to worry. It doesn't mean it's right, but it's very natural. So much is out of our control. Um, lots of things do go wrong in life. Um, you know, and and so it's a very natural thing to sort of lie in bed at night, awake, or spend the day biting our nails and all of that, which is why there's quite a lot of teaching in the Bible about about not worrying and about learning how to grow in faith to the point where we're not dominated by worry. We'll always be we'll always be dogged by the potential to worry. There'll always be the temptation to worry. But actually, in Christ, there can be that growth where we're no longer dominated by it. it doesn't doesn't it's not the main story of our lives we're not we're not fundamentally weighed down by worry but we're fundamentally buoyed up by faith in God as Jesus said do not let your heart be troubled trust in God trust also in me um, but the reality is is that there are plenty of things that can weigh us down and if we give time and thought to it so much so that it can rob us of growth in the kingdom it can choke what god is wanting to do it can we can meditate so much on our worries and our fears that the fruit that would have come if we'd been meditating on the truth of god and his promises doesn't come the joy the expectation the confidence to move out on and take steps for god the generosity that would be ours that doesn't come in our lives because we fall into control and tightness and mere survival tactics because we're just worrying we're simply being dominated by worry it becomes a force in our life uh, governmentally in you know the bible says that the government's on his shoulders christ wants to be governmental in our lives he wants his rule and his reign to come in why to oppress us no the opposite to liberate us any other lordship will oppress you ultimately will squash you he wants to bring his government in to liberate you that's why he says don't worry about tomorrow each day has got enough trouble of its own he's such a realist jesus he doesn't say don't worry about tomorrow everything's going to be fine he doesn't say that he says look enough each day's got enough trouble don't spend your life worrying about the future engage with the day doesn't mean don't plan but it does mean don't worry about the future planning for the future is fine as long as it's done in a spirit of faith but worrying about the future no well, you've only, got, you've only got grace for the day. God gives grace for today. When tomorrow comes, it will be today then. At that point, there's grace for it. There is not grace for tomorrow today. So rein it in, rein your mind in, rein your heart in, rein your spirit in. 
Do not allow yourself to worry about tomorrow, but engage with the difficulties of the day in a spirit of faith and with the grace that God supplies. If you don't do that, then what God is wanting to do in your life can be choked. Hey, you don't want that. You don't want to be someone weighed down and burdened with that, those kinds of worries. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. So take yourself in hand. Seek God for mercy and grace. Meditate on the promises of God. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 29. Plans to do you good and not harm. Plans to give you, give you a hope and a future. These are, these are the kinds of things that we want to meditate on and feed on and nourish our souls on. And, we're, and through this kind of approach, the harvest, the harvest that we expect from the gospel will begin to grow in our lives. Another one is the, the deceitfulness of riches. That's the other, the second, a second weed, one of the second weeds that Jesus identifies, the deceitfulness of riches. Why does he use this term? It's a fascinating term. It's because money promises us that which it cannot deliver. That's the deceit. Okay? The deceit is in the fact that money promises you that which it cannot deliver. It promises you certain things that it can deliver. Say, for example, opportunity. Money promises you opportunity. Agreed. If you have more money, you can do more things. But what's the promise behind the promise? The promise behind opportunity is happiness. So if you have money, you can travel here, here and here. Therefore, as a result of that, you will then be happy. Not true. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Money promises you security. What's the promise behind the promise? True, lasting, eternal security. Money can't deliver that. Sure, money can deliver a degree of security in this age. If you get, get my drift, there's the security of having enough food and a roof over your head. Not having to be overly concerned about overheads. There's that sort of security. But it's very fleeting. And so there's a deceit inherent in it. It makes you the kind of promises that God makes. There's the issue. Money promises you what only God can deliver. Money promises to give you what God promises to give you. And they are, in that regard, opposing powers. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. He uses the word mammon. What is mammon? You might think it's just an old-fashioned word for money. It's more than that. Mammon is referring to money as a god. It was like a, it, it's the god of money. You can't serve both. And so if you're looking to money for security, you're looking to money for happiness, it's your god. It will choke the work of God in your life because you can't serve two masters. You end up loving one and hating the other. If you love money, God's call on you to be generous and give sacrificially will annoy you. You'll start to hate that. See how it works? You can't, you can't do both. And so Jesus says, actually, if you get lured in, if you get reeled in by the promises that money offers you, these promises, the promises that God promises you, it will choke what God is doing in you. You will become 
someone who does not flourish in a kingdom sense, in a spiritual sense. It, will, it's, it becomes a master. Money becomes a master to you. Money's a great servant, terrible master. It's a great servant. You can do brilliant things with money. If God's got your heart, the kingdom's got your heart, if you're literally trusting God, you're saying, Lord, all that is mine is yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All the money in my bank account is yours. Not just the 10%, not just the first 10%. It's all yours. If you get to that place, money's a great servant. Great servant of the purposes of God. You can invest in all kinds of brilliant things that further the purposes of God, that further the kingdom of God. Brilliant. You're in good shape. You are, you are well then. You are well. It's a terrible master. Money will eat you up as a master. You will not be well. It will consume you. You'll never have enough. And you'll end up chasing after the wind. These are serious matters. You have to deal with and nail money because there's a deceitfulness inherent in it. it. wants you to love it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many, many, the Bible says, have been, have been pierced with many pains as a result of the love of money. It's ruined many, many lives. And so this, hence, we've got to take this parable seriously. You can't pick and choose with the words of Jesus. You've got to take what he says really seriously. It's true because it's true. So you, it's, not like, it's not like a game you can beat. It's not like a system that you can kind of beat. You can kind of, you can kind of play the system and, and kind of do that and do that. These words are true to be believed and submitted to. And as a result, become fruitful or to be underestimated and essentially despised, put to one side. And then you'll see what will happen with the work of the gospel in your life. It will begin to curl up and dry up and um, you'll become something. You think, how did, how did it become? How did, how did Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom begin to feel so nominal in my heart, begin to feel so marginal in my heart, begin to feel so um, unappetizing in my heart? What's going on there? Your heart has been deceived by riches. You're going after it. Come on now. Come on, take steps. Look after your heart. You want to be in good shape spiritually. And then the other one is very, very interesting. Again, the desire for other things. A real catch-all there. It's a really wide net. And it, again, it's so helpful. As we learn in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. So it doesn't really matter what it is you really want. If, if, if there's something that you really want, if you have a, a desire for something or some things that kind of is captivating the centre of who you are and it's not the creator, it's not him, it's not the one who your heart was made for, then it will lead you into trouble. Whatever it is, it could be like something really obviously evil, like you've got this desire to oppress and dominate loads of people. You think, that's clearly wrong, clearly bad. Everyone knows that. Okay, sure it is. But it could be a, it could be a desire for, the, for a house in the countryside. In and of itself, that's not wrong, but it could grow and grow. And you're, it's The heart has only got a certain amount of room for a certain number of things. And it's only got room for one thing to be at the centre. There's only room for one thing to be at the centre. And as soon as you start to get enamoured with this, 
and enamored with that and you don't watch over your heart anymore. You allow your motivation and your central core affections to be seduced and gripped by things. Then what you will find is, is that that work of Jesus in your life, that work of the gospel, you think again, what's happening to me? Well, your heart is divided. The human heart is a very delicate thing. It's, it can't, it must, it ought not to be divided. It can't cope. It can't cope with loving too many things too deeply. Fascinatingly, if Jesus is at the centre and remains at the centre, then there's a grace that's given to love many, many things wonderfully, but not worshipfully. Only he gets your worship. But if you start stuffing other things into the centre, the centrepiece, the centre place, then all kinds of disorder follows, all kinds of strange things begin to happen inside. You think, well, I don't, know, I don't feel like praying anymore. You know, the Bible just seems dry and dusty. Now I know there are seasons where it's like that anyway, but sometimes there's good reason for it. It's because something's happened in our heart. We, we, we just, our affections have been stolen by other things, temporary things, created things, created things, whether it's yourself, centres around you, might not be that. Sometimes people just get utterly obsessed with a cause that's created or with another person who's created. And the problem is, is that they're created, they are finite. They cannot coexist on the throne with the infinite one. They cannot satisfy your soul. They cannot facilitate the growth of your inner person spiritually. They don't have that kind of power. They themselves, even in all of their beauty or glory, are it's derivative, it's derived from somewhere else. The only one is the source, the living God, the God of all life, only he is the source. And so and so that's why he is to be at the centre. It's not that God's on some kind of twisted ego trip. God knows. God knows that when our soul is most satisfied in him, he is most glorified through that. But obviously we are most we are most alive in that moment because we are feeding on, feasting on the infinite one. We are, we are, it's like in Jeremiah where he says, wow, you've, you've turned away. You've turned away from the fountain of life and you're drinking from cracked cisterns. You're drinking, you're, you're drinking, it's so, you are playing with mud pies when you could be enjoying, you know, the tropical, trop, a tropical beach. You know, you, you've traded in the best for something so much below that, so much beneath that. You've been tricked. You've been led astray. Crazy. If you find yourself there, I tell you, I urge you to, to, to respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings and repent and, and straight away drop those things from your heart. Ask God for mercy and power to let go of those things so you can cling to him and then let him become the sun that everything else in you orbits around you watch what will happen order order the disorder the chaos the uh, slavery to lusts and 
various desires, that chaos will be replaced with order. This is deep. This is, this is you know, everything flows out of this. This is the thing that so often people forget. We forget to live from the centre. We just add things in on the edges or we live from the centre but the wrong things are in the centre. If you live with him at the centre, trust in him. Trust in his promises. Oh, it's a simple and childlike trust. It's not complicated. It's a simple and childlike trust that he is all he says he is. He will be for us all that he promises he will be for us. He will not leave us or forsake us. As we trust in him, we will not be put to shame. That, that, that our association with him, our being united with him, will bring us into what we can only describe as life in all of its fullness. This, this is what, this is what uh, simple faith looks like. It's simple, but it's deep. It's that. It's, it's believing with the heart. And the heart is the centre of the person. It involves the mind, but it's the centre of the person, the seat of affections, that, that place of motivation, believing with the heart. It's, that's all it is. It's a simple faith, but it, it latches on to Jesus and says, and says, be in the middle. Be my Lord. It's a wonderful thing. It's a liberating thing. I just want to encourage, encourage you that, to say this, that you know, this new life in Christ, this life of fullness, this garden or this field full of this 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold harvest, it's so undeserved. It's so outrageous. It's so sublime. You think, why would God want to do that? You know, I'll tell you why he'd want to do that. Out of his abundant grace and his perfect love. God so loved the world. This is the motivation that he gave his only son. Jesus gave himself for us out of a love for the Father, wanting to obey the Father, and out of a love for us, whom the Father had given to him. The Spirit empowered Jesus for that amazing death on the cross where he was able to offer himself up through the eternal power of the Holy Spirit the Spirit empowered him for that out of love our God is a God of mighty love and and nothing nothing can stop love love never fails God has moved towards us with extraordinary abundant covenant love which we've seen demonstrated once for all through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross the power of sin has been broken. The power of idolatry has been broken. All those weeds that want to grow in our heart, they've all been broken down, all been broken, shattered, shattered by the shattered body of Jesus. We've been liberated from, from that by the shed blood of Jesus. He has done it. He has done it. So now there is that liberty, that permission, that authority to walk away, to walk away from these things that hinder us. And to embrace gospel, fruit, harvest, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Praise God.